The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Everett Book Club, where a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I am not your typical epidemiologist, mostly because I got my medical license from a pawn shop in Florida. And my name is Marguerite, and I'm an old-timey 1920s doctor. You know, the kind before you needed a medical license? You still don't, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Each day we travel the world and read books. But at the risk of dating this episode, we are presently not traveling. That's right, Ruiz. Due to the COVID pandemic, we are in isolation, currently hiding out in Kyoto, Cuba. One little-known fact about Kyoto, Cuba, is that Fidel Castro built a panic palace just outside of town. That's right. It's not a panic room. Not a bunker. Like the rest of the suckers have. It's... Panic Palace. The shelves are stocked with the finest canned goods the Caribbean has to offer, and for entertainment we've got VHS tapes of every episode of Coronation Street from 1970 through to 1990. Wow, we're definitely enjoying that. I know Fidel Castro did, but we're not here today to talk about Coronation Street, even though I've got so much to say about it. Because we're actually here to discuss The Best Policy by Randall Garrett from 1957. Today's story comes from a short story collection called Earthmen and Strangers. Humans and aliens on a collision course. Marguerite, would you be so kind as to describe the listener? Describe the listener. For our covers. I assume it's some poor schlub stuck in their house because of pandemic, and they're like, we're so bored. We've listened to every other podcast on the internet. Let's try this one. Or you could describe the cover for our listeners instead. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so background color is black, so it's a space background. And in the foreground, there is uh, a humanoid who's... Oh, man. All these, like, old-school spacey people never actually wore spacesuits. It just looks like he's got a bubble on his head and some saran wrap around his body and some sweet, sweet space underwear some space tidy whities and some lovely white gloves. And floating with him is, for whatever reason, dinosaur bones. I wonder if he brought them with him. Yeah, like, that... is that something he takes to space with him? It does look rather dinosaur-esque. And then... There's some kind of weird shape behind him. Yeah, it's a shape. I think it's maybe a spaceship or like a bomb with a tail. The Era in which our story takes place, is the far future, where humans have settled on multiple worlds. Of course. And beyond that, uh, it's spoilers. Oh. So, the best policy, a rather generic title, which will really come into its own soon. The first lines of our story, Fagobar Larminsculus Verf. Boof, that's a name, isn't it? Borgax of Fenigswiznok had a long name and an important title, and he was proud of both. Sure. Why wouldn't he be? The title was roughly translatable as High Sheriff Admiral of Fenizwiznok, mm-hmm. and Fenizwiznok was a rich and important planet in the Doll Empire. Mm-hmm. 
Fancy. Thagobar Verf is further described as having both an exo and endoskeleton. <laughs> what? Kind of like a turtle. Okay. Basically humanoid-shaped, his exoskeleton forms the shape of a suit of armor and is the color of a cooked lobster shell. <laughs> oh, wow. His clothing is limited to a kilt of fanciful designs emblazoned mm-hmm. with glittering gems. Sexy. And his rank is engraved into both his chest and back. Oh. You know, into his skeleton. Right. So that all who see him may know that he's the Borgax. Kind of hope that's a permanent position. The High Sheriff Admiral. Also, he's five foot two. Oh, well, he sounds more and more attractive. Quote, as commander of his own spaceship, the Verf, it was his duty to search out and explore planets which could be colonized by his race, the Doll. Oh, okay. This he had done diligently for many years, following exactly his general orders as a good commander should. Mm, is he going to encounter humans? Are they going to clash over their love of taking over planets? Spoilers. And it had paid off. He had found some nice planets in his time, and this one was the juiciest of the lot. Ooh, nice juicy planet you got there. Just want to take a bite out of it. <laughs> like an apple. Or a pear. Or a lemon. From orbit, the planet looks vaguely tropical, with green continents and blue oceans. Lieutenant Pelquest states that Thagobar will certainly get another citation for this discovery. Uh, Aren't citations bad? Uh, No, citations are like on Wikipedia, if you've been cited. Okay, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) But Thagobar can't reply. He's busy scanning the continents with a telescope and is aghast to discover a city. Uh, It's Earth, isn't it? Quote, neither of them knew what to do. Only a few times in the long history of the Dao had other races been found, and under the rule of the Empire, they had all slowly become extinct. Oh, the races? Yes. So they do they extinct them, or do they wait till they become extinct and then take over the planet? Mm, you'll find out. All right. Besides, none of them had been very intelligent anyway. <laughs> well, this one isn't either. Well, if, if they're extinct, then they weren't intelligent. I don't know if that's how that works. <laughs> We'll have to ask General Orders, Thagobar said at last. In the belly of the ship, General Orders begins to wake, containing the complete 10,000 years of facts, science, and history of the Dal Empire. General Orders may well be the true captain of this ship, and after sorting through its memory banks, a decision is made. Take it over. Thagobar reads the screen, quote, General Order 333-953-216-AJ, Chapter 2949, Paragraph 402. Hmm. First discovery of an intelligent or semi-intelligent species shall be followed by the taking of a specimen selected at random. Ooh, fun. No contact shall be made until the specimen has been examined. Thagobar orders Lieutenant Pelquesh to ready a spaceboat. And he's going to go get Psychologist Xandoplith. <laughs> a Xenopsychologist. And so we cut to the planet's surface. Earth. Mm-hmm. Quote, Ed McGruder took a deep breath of spring air and closed his eyes. Oh, he's getting kidnapped. It was beautiful. It was filled with spicy aromas and tangy scents that, though alien, were somehow homelike. More homelike than Earth. Oh, he's the alien. Ed McGruder is a tall and lanky human fellow taking a walk through the city of New Hilo on the planet of New Hawaii. Oh, okay. The sun has just set and poisonous butterflies are coming out. Oh, great. This sounds like a great planet. So it's not safe to be outside after dark. It's like it's Australia. (laughs) But Ed McGruder is a biologist. On his sixth planet in ten years, 
And so far, New Hawaii is the favorite of the bunch because you don't have to wear hazmat suits 24-7. Oh my god, that sounds horrible. Just then, he was kidnapped by aliens. Oh, wow. You called that, although it was kind of... Foreshadowed. Yes. Heavily. We cut to Thagabar Verf. Mm-hmm. Stares dispassionately at the unconscious specimen. Look at this ugly Quote, alien. a soft-skinned, slug-like parody of a being. It's true. With a pale, pinkish-tan complexion and a repulsive, fungoidal growth on its head in various other areas. Oh, other areas as well. Psychologist Zandaplith watches the team of biologists taking blood and tissue samples, thinking to himself that his task will be unique because he's never attempted psychology on an unknown intelligent species before. What? He's not qualified for this. <laughs> to quote, As with all other specimens, it was Zandaplith's job to discover the basic reaction pattern. Oh, good. Experiments. Any given organism could react only in a certain... Very large, but finite number of ways. And these ways could be reduced to a basic pattern. Seems legit. All that was necessary to destroy a race of creatures was to get their basic pattern and then give them a problem that they couldn't solve by using that pattern. The only way? Or well, just light them all on fire? Their favorite way. Humans don't destroy themselves when they can't figure out a problem. They destroy everything else. Thagobar asks the psychologist if this specimen will really be able to learn their language... And Xandiplith assures him that yes, their language is based upon logic, so this creature should be able to learn enough to communicate. Hmm. Interesting. And Thagobar is delighted, since he'll be the one to interrogate the specimen. <laughs> Xandiplith objects, thinking that he has uh, the rank and the proper training mm -hmm. to do the interrogation, because he's read the whole handbook, which Thagobar hasn't. <laughs> what? He hasn't even read the handbook? But Thagobar won't be dissuaded. It's the first contact that the Dahl Empire's had with another intelligent race for a thousand years. And he says the ship commander should be the one to lead the questioning. And so, Ed Magruder wakes up, as a team of biologists are hooking him up to a complicated apparatus inside of a tank. They put cones over his ears and eyes, electrodes across his head, and a special serum into his blood. Mm-hmm. Closing the door to the tank, Ed Magruder's left alone in the darkness. Shapes begin to form in the dark. And some duration later, he knows how to speak the language of the doll. Sure. That's all it takes. Yep. Shapes and cones and projections. Oh, done. Naked, he's placed inside of a room that measures four feet by six. Ooh, that's small. One wall is a window, and through that window are Thagobar, Xandoplith, and a team of alien biologists. Oh, lovely. Thagobar Verf begins the questioning by asking, Our psychologists have taught you our language, have they not? When Ed says yes, Thagobar tells him, They have some questions, and Ed will answer truthfully, because they'll know if he's lying. What's your name? Thagobar asks. Ed replies, Theophilus Q. Hassenpfeffer. Wow, if you're going to make a fake name, don't use that one. <laughs> Xandoplith looks at the meters on the lying machine and shakes his head. <laughs> the lying machine? That is a lie, Thagobar states. Sure is, Ed says. That's quite the machine you've got there. Sure is. <laughs> it is good that you appreciate the superiority of our instruments, Thagobar said grimly. Now, your name? Edwin Peter St. John Magruder. Xandoplith nods his head at Thagobar, saying yes, that's the truth. Excellent, says Thagobar. Now, Edwin... Ed is good enough, Magruder interrupts derailing the entire conversation for 30 pages because the prawns don't understand the concept of name abbreviations. Ugh. Ugh. 
Eventually, Thagabar says, we'll come back to that point later. Now, um, Ed, what do you call your home planet? Earth, he replies. Good, and what does your race call itself? Homo sapiens. And the significance of that, if any? It's just a name, Magruder says. <laughs> Xandiputh shakes his head, no. Mm-mm. Just testing, Magruder chuckles. That really is a <laughs> wizard of a machine. Quite what the, a scamp. <laughs> quite the wizard. <laughs> Thagabar's face is darkening from anger, so Magruder answers the question, saying that Homo sapiens means wise man. Oh, that's an oxymoron. Except that the Dao language doesn't have any concepts that exactly match, so the best translation he can manage is beings with vast powers of mind. Oh, wow. Thagabar's eyes go wide, and Xandoplith confirms that the Lyometer hasn't gone off. <laughs> you seem to have high opinions of yourselves, Accurate. said Thagabar. <laughs> the questions go on for a little while more. Some appear to be psychological tests, while others didn't make much sense. And every time Magruder says anything that can be construed as a lie, Xandoplith notices and Thagabar gets angrier. Eventually, Thagabar gets too annoyed. And when Magruder dissembles one last time, Thagabar hits a button. A big red button. <gasps> then he gets electrocuted? Magruder's overwhelmed by a wave of nerve-shattering pain. <gasps> Yay! Doubles him over. Typical psychology tests. When the pain finally ebbs, he immediately starts vomiting and rolling around. Oh, no. Immediately. In that tiny little room? Oof. <laughs> Gross. Thagabar orders him taken back to his cell while the interrogation chamber is cleaned up. Hours later, Magruder is still in pain. But even worse than the pain is the anger. The diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Knotting his stomach into a ball of rage, not diarrhea. <laughs> you can have both. Magruder suspects that the aliens may not be up to, uh, they may be up to no good. And only he, unarmed and naked, can stop them. <laughs> High opinion of his abilities. A few hours later, he's fed a plain, warm broth and then led back to the interrogation chamber. Where he immediately rage poops everywhere. <laughs> whose glass wall is polarized so he can't see the aliens. On the other side of the glass, Thagobar, Verf, and psychologist Xandoplith are troubled because the computer General Orders has given its prognosis, quote, No race of this type has ever been found in the galaxy before. In this case, the commander will act, according to General Orders 234-511-006-RG, Chapter 2410, Paragraph 666. Uh-oh. That particular section stipulates that Thagabar Verf himself has complete freedom to make whatever decisions he thinks are most prudent. Hmm. The orders say there are no orders. Just make it up as you go along. So I live life. The glass wall turns opaque, or perhaps transparent. Probably. And Thagabar instructs Ed Magruder to answer no to his next five questions, mostly to make sure that his nervous system is still functioning properly after the <laughs> earlier torture. After the machine is calibrated again, Thagabar goes on to ask, How many Homo sapiens are there? Several billion, Magruder answers. Proudly. All your people are surely aren't on Earth then, in one city. And Magruder is suddenly filled with joy to realize that Thagabar has made a mistake by assuming New Hawaii to be the home planet right, yeah. of the Homo sapien race. So he says, we only have a few thousand down there. Then most of your people have deserted Earth. 
Deserted Earth, Magruder sounded scandalized. <laughs> They're all with your mom. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Heavens to Betsy, no. We've merely colonized. We're all under one central government. A federation, if you will. How many are there in each colony, Thagobar asks, at this point going completely off script. <laughs> I don't know exactly, Magruder told him. But not one of our colonized planets has any more occupants on it than Earth. Is that a brain teaser? It is. Thagobar immediately switches off the mic and makes the glass no longer clear, turning to Xandoblith, who confirms that the lie detector has detected no lies. Quote, But do you realize the implications of what he said? There are a few thousand people on the home planet, all the colonies have less, and yet there are several billion of his race. They're everywhere! That means they've occupied around 10 million planets. I realize it sounds queer, admitted Xandoplith. It sure does. But the detector never lies, your splendor. Thagobar switches back on the mic and asks Magruder, According to our estimates, there are not that many habitable planets in the galaxy. How do you account, then, for your statement? Magruder thinks to himself about how people have been terraforming Mars for generations, and how it's maintained a stable population despite the terraforming being centuries away from completion. And with that thought in his mind, he replies, My people are capable of living on planets with surface conditions that vary widely from those of Earth. So he's gaming the lie detector. Exactly. Buckle sneaky human. He then thinks about some of the discoveries of the thousand-inch telescope on the moon which has found planets orbiting stars in other galaxies, and he says, In addition, we have found planets in other galaxies <laughs> than this. Thagobar mutes the mic for some quick discussions before turning it on again and asking, How many spaceships do you have? Magruder thinks about how there are about a dozen ships in Earth's intergalactic fleet. Is he going to say as many as we need? But none currently near New Hawaii. And he says, Spaceships? Why, we have no spaceships. Thagobar switches off the mic and polarizes the glass. Xandoplith confirms that Magruder spoke the absolute truth. We trebuchet our humans and other planets. There are no ships on New Hawaii, so he could say there are no ships. Mm-hmm. Remember what this race called themselves, Xandoplith asks? Beings with minds of vast power. <laughs> Some time passes before the glass turns transparent. And Thagobar asks directly, is it true that your race has the ability to move through space by means of mental power alone? Sure. Magruder thinks about how brains work and how they make bodies do things like walking. And he replies, It is true that by using mental forces to control physical energy, we are able to move from place to place without the aid of spaceships or other such <laughs> oh machines. Oh my god, I can walk down the road without a spaceship. The glass immediately polarizes. And Thagobar summons all 20 of the officer class of the ship. It takes a few minutes for the crowd of NPCs to assemble. At which point, Thagobar summarizes the interrogation so far and asks for suggestions. Lieutenant Pelquesh has a brilliant idea and says simply, Your splendor, we could simply drop an annihilation bomb on the planet. <laughs> that backfired. Thagobar shook his head. I've already thought of that. If they could move themselves through space by means of thought alone, they would escape, and their race would surely take vengeance for the vaporization of one of their planets. Definitely. Wait a minute, said Palquesh. If he could do that, why hasn't he escaped from us? Maybe he's having fun. When the glass turns clear, Magruder is surprised to see that the room is now filled with aliens. <laughs> Thagobar asks, 
We are curious to know why, if you can go anywhere at will, you have stayed here. Why don't you escape? He loves torture. Gets uh, off on it. <laughs> That's his kink? Yep. Alien abduction? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is not polite, Magruder said, for a guest to leave his host until the business at hand is finished. Even after we, uh, disciplined you, Thagabar asks nervously. Even after you pooped all over the... <laughs> oh wait, he vomited, didn't he? I made up the pooping. Small discomforts can be overlooked, Magruder replies, especially when the host is acting in abysmal ignorance. Small discomforts, like being electrocuted so hard you vomit everywhere. Thagabar asks if Magruder bears them no ill will. And he milks the situation properly, mm -hmm. saying, Some, but it is only because of your presumptuous behavior towards me. However, I can assure you that my race as a whole bears no ill will whatever towards your race as a whole or any member of it. Because we don't know you exist. After more discussion, Thagabar asks, You say that your race holds no ill will towards us. How do you know? Because they don't know you exist. <laughs> I can say this, Magruder replies. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt exactly what every person of my race thinks of you at this very moment. <laughs> they don't. In addition, let me point out that I have not been harmed as yet. They would have no reason to be angry. After all, you haven't been destroyed yet. The mic turns off, the aliens discuss. And then Thagabar declares, It has been suggested that in spite of appearances, it was intended that we pick you and you alone as a specimen. It is suggested that you were sent to meet us. Ooh. Magruder thinks about how he's a trained exobiologist, and then answers, I am but a very humble member of my race. However, my profession is of meeting alien beings. Convenient. I was, I must admit, appointed to the job. <laughs> wow. Thagabar tenses up, saying, That in turn suggests that you knew we were coming. <laughs> and Magruder thinks about how, for centuries, it was predicted that mankind would eventually meet an intelligent alien race. And he says, we've known you were coming for a long time. <laughs> After a bit more back and forth, Thagabar asks, It has been pointed out that it is very odd that your race has never contacted us before. Ours is a very old and powerful race, and we have taken planets throughout a full half of the galaxy. And yet your race has never been seen nor heard of before. Humans are a quiet, solitary race. <laughs> Magruder replies that humans have a policy of not disclosing their presence to another race until it is in their advantage to do so. That does sound like humans. No, it doesn't. <laughs> we go on blazing. Guns blazing. Vomit blazing. <laughs> I was just going to say something about vomiting. Vomiting everywhere. Thagabar asks if other races have been punished by Homo sapiens in the past. And Magruder thinks about Neanderthals. And says, not in my lifetime, there was a race before my time which defied us. It no longer exists. Wow. Uh-huh. Thagabar asks how old Magruder is. And he's told, quote, Look into your Magnus Green at the planet below. When I was born, not a single one of the plants you see existed on Earth. <laughs> oh my god. The continents of Earth were nothing like, like that. feel like he's gone too far. The seas were entirely different. The earth on which I was born had extensive ice caps. Look below you and you will see none. And yet we have done nothing to change the planet you see. Any changes that have taken place have come by the long process of geological evolution. Wow. 
The glass green polarizes and the mic shuts off right after Thagabar lets out a high-pitched and frightened sounding gleek. Oh man, what a sucker. Half an hour later, instead of the glass wall becoming transparent, it slides open to show the officer class NPCs standing at attention, with Thagabar at ease in front of the crowd. Edwin Peter St. John Magruder, Thagabar declares, as commander of this vessel, noble of the Grand Empire and representative of the Emperor himself, we wish to extend to you our most cordial hospitality. A hundred percent less electrocutions. Laboring under the delusion that you represented a lower form of life, we have treated you ignominiously. Mm. And for that, we offer our deepest apologies. Think nothing of it, Magruder replied. The only thing that remains is for you to land your ship on our planet so that your race and mine can arrange things to our mutual happiness. Lovely. He looked at the crowd, standing nervously at attention, and added, You may relax, and bring me my clothes. <laughs> Magruder knows that the human race isn't out of the woods yet, and once they land, there's going to be some decisions that'll need to be made by the president of New Hawaii and the government of Earth. Yeah, they're going to have to live up to all those lies he's been telling. <laughs> but fortunately, he hasn't set the bar too high for humans. Sure! So I'm sure everything will work out just yep, fine. it's going to be fine. And we reached the final words of our story. As the verf dropped towards the surface of New Hawaii, its commander sidled over to Magruder and said in a troubled voice, Do you think your people will like us? Oh man, no. Magruder glanced at the lie detector. It was turned off. Like you? Why, they'll love you, he said. <laughs> he was, We're not going to try to murder you immediately. He was sick and tired of being honest. Uh-huh, sure he was. <laughs> And that was The Best Policy by Randall Garrett from 1957. Mm-hmm. Which I consider to be a minor masterpiece of science fiction. Oh, sure. It contained all sorts of things. Lies, vomit. Don't forget about naked. Electrocution, aliens. And aliens. Uh, there was no probing. Oh, uh, Well, I guess they... Probed his brain. Yes. They probably shouldn't have taught him their language. It probably right. would have been better for them if they had learnt his. Truth. Randall Garrett is a science fiction author, born in 1927, died in 1987. I've never heard of him before today. Nor have I. But he's written lots of books, like the Nidor series, and the Ken Malone series, and the Lord Darcy series. Good for him. Which includes Too Many Magicians. <laughs> I bet that's a great book. He's also written The Gandalara Cycle, hmm. and several books such as Pagan Passions, Ooh. Starship Death, yes, and Despoilers of the Golden Empire. Ugh, damn Despoilers. So this has been the Everett Book Club. You can visit us online at www.everettbookclub.com. You can email us at everettbookclub at hotmail.com. Or go to our Instagram. Where we do things. Also called the Everbook Club. We are temporarily not doing any Turing tests because mm. of the whole thing. <sighs> killer aliens. No, killer robots? <laughs> yes, killer robots in our bloodstream. Mm -hmm. So, Marguerite, we are hiding out in Fidel Castro's Panic Palace. And you've been going through the treasure vault. Find anything interesting? Does the laser gun that killed JFK count as interesting? Yes, but is it cursed? Because right now it just looks like an ordinary laser gun to me. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, what about the Holy Grail? Because that's on a shelf right next to Jesus's skull. How holy is it? Very. It's so holy that anything you pour into it just drips right through. Oh, is that Hitler's head in a jar? Yeah. I'm going to read up with some animatronics so the eyes follow movement. Good call. Oh, um, by the way, I found Excalibur on a shelf in the back end. I want you to have it. It's really more suited to your aesthetic than it is to mine. Oh, why is that? There's no easy way to say this, so there are some dicks all over it. Excalibur is covered in penises. Really? Oh my god, there's so many dicks. So many. Wow, medieval England is weird, man. They have a real penis-centric aesthetic. It's so phallic. Phallic sword with phallic symbol. And this suits my aesthetic? Of course. I thought of you instantly. Aww. Thanks.